Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because there is a pre-existing audience that were quite faithful to the original cinema. Our strategy is sort of wider than cinema. It puts cinema at the centre of the community, but it does so because we're also looking at staging arts events and community events around it. So the cinema occupies the space of being the focal point for that community. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And I am joined by wonderful co-hosts, Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro, and Jesse Rifkin, the box office analyst over at Box Office Pro. Today, we have a great interview with Anthony Hughes and James Anderson Brown of the Loom Cinema in the UK. By the way, thank you for having me on, and I'm afraid of competing against your dulcet, resonant tones of your voice. We all are. <laughs> As you should yeah. be. Um, we have had some changes to the box office schedule over uh, the last week, and it seems like some of those are directly because of what Tom and Jerry did on its opening weekend, notably the fact that it actually proved that a movie can do well, perhaps even better than expected. Jesse, what moved around? What moved back? And on a more positive note, what moved forward? So let's go through the list. Paramount moved A Quiet Place Part 2 from an intended September release all the way up to May 28th. Now that's an extremely welcome change for exhibitors because it's a theatrically exclusive movie that moved up by four whole months, the first time we've seen anything like that happen since the pandemic. However, Universal moved F9, the next installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, back about a month from May 28th to June 25th. And they pushed back the animated sequel Minions The Rise of Gru a full year, moving it from July of 2021 all the way to July of 2022. In addition, we have Sony moving up Peter Rabbit 2 a month from June 11th to May 14th. And Sony moved their drama Fatherhood starring Kevin Hart to Netflix. I never thought I'd be so excited about a piece of Peter Rabbit sequel news as when I saw they moved it forward into May along with The Quiet Place. I think it really speaks to a level of studio confidence now that uh, New York is open, at, albeit at a 25% capacity. The vaccine rolling out is is continuing apace. And though the F9 thing kind of raises my eyes a little bit only because they're moving it into a more crowded month. But you know, we'll see. At this point, I don't expect anything to stay static. I, I don't think we're at that point yet where everything is locked in. Russ, what do you think of the release date changes? I mean, I agree that certainly A Quiet Place being pulled significantly forward is a good indicator. And as a side note, I don't know about the both of you, I don't even live in New York and seeing photos of marquees for theaters that are now open in the in New York this past weekend really gave me some strong feelings. <laughs> it was really nice to know that, you know, that that's Our happening. Our fellow co-host, uh, Daniel Lurie and I, on, on Friday, the day they were first open, we took a little mini tour and, and went around to four different cities. Cinemas, you know, just in the lobbies and saw what was going on and in some cases, you know, chatted with people there. And it was really emotional, honestly. It was it, – I just walked home from my last theater with a big grin on my face. You know, they were reporting that – Screenings were selling out, albeit at 25% capacity. Everyone's hoping for it to go to 33 or, or, or 50 before too long. You know, it definitely seemed like a slow ramping up, a little bit of a training wheel situation because New York cinemas only had 10 days, I think, to get ready for this. 
but I'm I'm not used to all this hopefulness. But I'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, for me, this happened on the one year anniversary of the last time I went to a movie theater, which was Saturday, March 7th, 2020. So I will say the last theater that I went to on my little uh, mini jaunt was the Nighthawk Theater, one of their two locations here in Brooklyn. It's, It's my local theater. It's the one I'm in walking distance to. It typically does a lot of, you know, family friendly fare just because it's a neighborhood with a lot of families. And they were saying like, yeah, we are, we're selling out at 25% capacity, you know, there's been a lot of enthusiasm for people coming in and only one of the movies they were screening was exclusively theatrical. They had like Judas and the Black Messiah, they had Raya, Raya was selling out. Most of the things that they were screening that opening day were things that people could have watched from home and per people at Nighthawk, you know, people were coming out and choosing to see it in a theater, which I, I found very hopeful. I, re- I really like the Nighthawk. They have a very good Twin Peaks themed cocktail. I will say about the Fast and the Furious move, I wonder if that reflects marketing plans, if pushing Fast and Furious back a month gives them a chance to get marketing onto, you know, primetime or perhaps sports related ad buys that they might not have been able to plan for uh, previous to that, because that's certainly the type of movie which would typically really rely on those sort of marketing buys. Uh, And so I'm hoping that that is uh, part of the factor. If they pushed it six months, I'd be worried. But moving on to our main feature interview, we are crossing the pond to the UK. Located in the town of Kidderminster, the West Midlands region of England, the Loom Cinema began its life in 2006 as Warehouse Cinema. And yes, it was originally an old carpet warehouse. Several years later, it joined the real cinema chain. Doors closed in March 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and it looked for a time like the theater might not reopen at all. Until a group of social entrepreneurs, including James Anderson Brown, founder of Birmingham's Mockingbird Cinema, joined forces to bring Warehouse Cinema, now to be called Loom Cinema, back to life. Not just as a cinema, but as a community gathering and vent space. Brown and Anthony Hughes, co-founder of the Stowbridge Community Development Trust, took some time away from the busy work of crowdfunding to reopen the Loom Cinema, and you can see that link in the episode description below, to speak to the Box Office podcast about the past and future of the Loom Cinema. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, I'm Anthony Hughes, and I'm one of the owners of Loom Cinema. Yeah, I'm James Anderson Brown. I'm also one of the uh, owners of the Loom Cinema. So the Loom's been around, if I'm not mistaken, since 2006. Uh, it's had a variety of different names, and then it became a way too large number of cinemas that closed down temporarily in March because of COVID. And then it turned out that that closure was, or at least was intended to be, permanent. Can you give me a rundown of the, the history of the Loom and and the place that it historically has within the uh, local community's arts atmosphere? Yeah, I think it, um, it originally was an independent cinema 13 years ago. It was opened by a guy who just loved film. It's an old warehouse. He looked at it and he made it into an independent cinema. Um, I think for whatever reason, he, he couldn't really carry on with it. So he sold it to uh, Real. And back in March, we all decided they were going to close due to COVID. Then we stepped in to try and save it and base the cinema in the area. 
what other kind of cinemas are there in that area? Are there uh, like multiplexes? Are there things that play more independent art house content? I mean, the actual like area itself, there's only really multiplexes. There's one Odeon that's kind of probably the localist one. Uh, I think there might be an Empire, but it's probably the second closest one, really. But nothing independent. I mean, we've probably got a 20 to 30 mile radius where there is no independent cinema there. And what's the, you know, as you've planned to reopen, have you kind of done a lot of work to build up a community and an interested audience, given that it does seem like there's kind of a drought of independent cinema in the area already? Yeah, I mean, we just um, we just launched a crowdfunder, which has really surprised us because it's taken off really dramatically, getting people off things like materials for discounted prices. Today, I've had somebody saying, do you want space for free? Um, there's a lot of people just come forward saying we need this and it's something we're desperate for in the area, which has shocked us to think a little bit. We thought it might be just they might need it, but we didn't think they were desperate for it. Um, and so they are. Uh, I think people have been desperate for a long time for something different and, and not just the standard cinema. And we hope to be able to provide loads of different things there from different types of screenings to, you know, screenings where it'll include all different parts of the community. So I think it's what people have been looking for. Uh, we didn't actually realise it was this desperate that people wanted that, but it's good that it is because they're really getting behind it. You know, as you embark on this process, uh, how do you get people invested in the idea of, of this cinema beyond just, you know, giving five pounds, 10 pounds through the crowdfunding campaign? I mean, how do you want to get the community involved and invested in the process of reopening the loom and then in running it in the programming of it and in, in what kind of events you hold after you're able to open back up? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because th there is a pre-existing audience that were quite faithful to the original cinema. Our strategy is sort of wider than cinema. It puts cinema at the centre of the community, but it does so because we're also looking at staging arts events and community events around it. So the cinema occupies the space of being the focal point for that community. And what we found with doing that is it speaks to different people about different things. So, you know, as James said, the, the building that we're in is a grade two listed building which sits in the middle of a, a heritage conservation area. And just that fact alone interests people that are interested in local heritage and the heritage of the building. And the building itself used to be at one point the largest carpet manufacturing factory in the world in the Victorian times. So the heritage that we've got isn't just around cinema, it's paying respect to the building itself and the various people that want to engage, want to engage sometimes for that reason, sometimes because of the plans that we've got for the refurb, which is going to be slightly art deco sort of feel to it. So it's a really good way to engage people. And then, of course, you've got the cinema audience themselves that, as, as James said, are desperate to come back out of lockdown and sit in a real cinema and be entertained collectively. I mean, going back to carpet, our original name was Magic Carpet, wasn't it? But then we, we thought Disney might sue us, so we changed that because of Aladdin. We thought we better, we better, we better just, just knock that on the head quick, otherwise Mr. Disney might be chasing us. Good call, good call. Loom is catchy. I mean, that's something we've spoken about on the podcast and among ourselves and with other exhibitors as well, that, you know, pre-COVID, the exhibition industry was out of necessity, extremely dependent on studio product, on, you know, what the studios 
choose to give and, and, and when. And now that that spigot is turned off, it's kind of turned into a situation of we might need to rethink the status quo of how dependent we are on outside content to bring people in and to be able to survive. You know, is, is that part of your thinking and, and kind of diversifying your programming? And, you know, how will you react to that going forward? How, how is the status quo of programming at the loom going to change compared to maybe what's at the Mockingbird or what typical cinemas did pre-COVID? Yeah, I mean, I think I've mentioned to a lot of people before that all that's happened with COVID is it's accelerated what was going to happen anyway. So, you know, you're talking the streaming cycles, the the shortening periods of uh, release windows. That was coming. It's just come a lot quicker. It's just come probably five years earlier than anybody expected. Anything in my mind that was going to be different in the first place. Um, if you look at Warner Brothers, they've done the HBO Max thing because they need to get a share of that streaming market and they didn't have it before. So they're a new vessel for streaming. So they need to take a share of the Netflix market and need to take a share of the uh, Disney Plus market. So they've had to do something that people thought was quite extreme, but I could understand it by releasing all their theatrical titles through their um, streaming service. But in terms of what we're doing, it's not going to change much because we're on the path where we want to show independent film, old films, be inclusive every way that we can. Um, so it hasn't really changed what we were going to do, but it's just the model's changing in front of our eyes a little bit quicker than I thought it was going to. But I think you can adapt to that quite quickly. And I think in the long term, probably worldwide, it will be a more of a split between your big uh, cinemas so you you know your Odeons or your um, AMCs, and then it will be boutique cinemas, and you'll have a, a choice to go and see the latest Marvel film on the biggest screen possible, the loudest sound in a massive group of people. But your boutique cinemas should be able to have a nice drink, go and see an old classic film, and and do something that's a little bit different, and have a night out. You know, I think the the bigger cinemas will be more. A lot of always been like a farm, quick in and out. You watch the film, you don't really hang around. Where boutique cinemas are going to be more, we'll have a drink, you know, come and watch two, watch a marathon. You know, it'd be more tailored to the people's experiences, what they're looking for for a whole night out, rather than just we're churning over films and you have to watch this film this term, certain slot, time slot and you got to go. So it, I think that's what's going to change drastically in the next year or two. It'll become more of a wider split between the big multiplexes and the boutique cinemas, but it's something that we're ready for anyway. Do you think that it's actually kind of good for the consumer that that shift is happening so quickly and so dramatically now as a result of COVID? Or is it good for you that it's happening so quickly and dramatically? I think for us, weirdly, it's good for us. I think uh, it's it strangely puts into a better position, really, that we can offer that difference, you know, that difference of... Um, something different on a night eight. You can see that starting to happen, that people are wanting that different experience. I just think it's going to happen a little bit quicker. In terms of people generally, I, I just think they're so used to being at home now, it will be a big part of the live streaming, but it's about what content's being streamed. You know, Disney have got the perfect model, I think. They're, you have to see WandaVision to get involved in the next feature films. So you have to be have Disney Plus and get to the cinema. Um, you know, they've got a perfect model in, in, in that thing, in that um, the way they've kind of built it. People just pick their place to, for different experiences, and I think that's fine. You know, if you want to watch a film at home that's a new release, great. 
if you want to go and have a drink with your friends and have a night out, you probably come to us. If you want something really loud and you want the, you know, a real big cinematic experience, cinemas aren't you? So it'd be, it'd be three ways splitting it. And I think there's enough room for all of that, really. There's enough people that want cinema to, to deal with it all. As the studios are kind of loosening up and becoming more flexible on how they present films, you know, the theatrical exclusivity windows are shorter. You have companies like Disney and, and Warner Brothers going day and date. In the case of Warner Brothers with their entire 2021 slate, Disney's trying it out with Raya. Given that, from the perspective of the theater side, specifically the the boutique, you know, independent theater side, what do you think would be right and good and fair, maybe, if that studios changed in relationship to how they dealt with theaters? A change in terms, not demanding this, that, or the other. I mean, what would you like to see kind of ease up on your end to counteract what's easing up on how the studios are operating right now? I think if the studios want to really make a, a big change to how to operate with smaller cinemas, they've got to not see us as small cinemas. Not see us as small cinemas, but see that we are different. So we can't run a film for two weeks, all shows, every day of the week, three screens a day. You know, you've got to see that we're, we're different. We are small cinemas, but we're different. The whole rule shouldn't be across every single cinema. So I should be able to go, I, need, I can only run the new James Bond for three days and the weekend, but I need some kind of room here and there. Um, maybe even, you know, in terms of rights, you know, for example, The Last Jedi was 55, 60% box office. You know, we've only got 100 seats or 300 seats where you're not dealing with a multiplex that's got 1,000 seats. So maybe that should be slightly smaller for us. It should be, you know, if you have X amount of seats, then you, you pay X amount of box office. You know, it should be a little bit fairer that way, I think. Or just understanding, you know, that we are we're different and it should be dealt with differently. We should have more flexibility in what we book and how we can book it rather than saying, blank sheet, everyone's a multiplex. We're obviously, we're not. You know, there's independent cinemas, there's big independent cinemas, you know, there's chains that are independent. I think you've got to look at each site and go, well, that's got 100 seats, so we can't make them play Bond for two weeks. They've only got one screen. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you know, people can't, people will come to us, but they only probably come to us for week one or the first three days, or they might choose to get to multiplex instead. So I think that's how the industry does need to change. If anybody's out there listening from Disney or uh, Fox or anyone, they're, not, they're both the same thing though. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what needs to change. They need to maybe just do it on seats, you know, just, okay, or, you know, you have X amount of seats. So we're not going to make you, play um black widow for two weeks straight and just consume your whole programming because that's what it does you know if i want to take anything with one screen it just sit there and go oh it's black widow again which is it's not good for, it's not <laughs> it's not good for consumers it's not good for the cinemas either so i'm not sure why they treat everything the same and in a different environment you know as, as james said what we're operating on is if you like the experience economy people want to come and have a different experience when they go to the cinema than they do with a multiplex it's very similar to the way that the music industry has changed its its revenue streams that you know people people used to make money from music and now they make money because of music so they've gone for the 360 model which includes something other than music i think small independent cinema has got that same offer it makes money because of film and you know we're quite lucky that the building that we're in it is going to operate as a cafe, as a bar, as a social centre. And the film really is a facilitator to get people through the door, which is great. What's your timeline uh, for reopening? With, with the caveat uh, that it was, it was recently said that cinemas in the UK will be open 
able to open May 17th at the earliest. But what are you thinking in terms of reopening? Well, I went a bit grey this afternoon when when he told us. I was like, oh, Neil, lie down. That's a bit quick. I don't. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I don't. We couldn't say for definite, but May, June. You know, probably more June from our point of view, really. And when uh, when you do reopen, I mean, Anthony, would you agree with what James said in, in terms of programming? You want to uh, more films for fewer shows for each film. You know, not doing one film for a week for four screenings a day because that's what the studio says you have to do. It just doesn't seem feasible right now. No, and I think really, you know, we need to, to nail our flags to the wall in the way that we want to operate as an independent venue is, yes, of course, you know, the temptation is there to, to show the latest release, and there's going to be a stack of them that are backed up, ready to go. Um, but that in itself is quite interesting because, you know, the, you can't demand that people have exclusivity when... Actually, it isn't just James Bond. There's about 10 other major films that would have occupied that space. So, yeah, we're going to start as we mean to go on. We're going to program widely. We're going to program based on what that audience locally uh, are interested in. And there's there's some really good evidence through building our social media to engage with people. And, you know, we're looking at putting some polls out to see what people would like to see as well so that we're tailoring it locally and hyper-locally. I was going to say, in fairness, that it seems to be a bit more flexibility with Wonder Woman 1984. I did, I did try to book that, and they're a little bit more, okay, yeah, you, you know, but you understand you can only be open for X amount, and you know, we'll we'll listen a little bit more. I think, I think they will, and I think you know, we're looking enough at the loon that we've got four screens, so if we have to, we can play Bond for two weeks solid. You know, it's not something out of the question. We can do that; it's fine. It'd just be nice to think just more flexibility generally. You know, if there's content out there, you want to be able to deliver the content that different people want to see. Do you know what I mean? It's not just about the big releases. It's about your St. Maud's and your, your A24 films and, and things like that, that that really are... A lot of people want to see them, but they're not generally available for long periods of time in cinemas. Some of the greatest runs I've had have been weird films like, like I said, Baby Driver, because Baby Driver literally dropped out the cinema after a week on all the major trains, and it was sold out every single showing that I did, because there's nowhere else to watch it. It's all in the area. You know, there's little gems like that, that that come along because the major chains drop them so quickly. You pick them up and you sell out every show. I think David Copperfield was another one. There's a few of them that literally, you know, we can sell every single screen of this because it's not on anywhere else because the major chains have gone one week. We don't need this anymore. Let's put on something else, something bigger. They'll they'll screen Bond for on ten screens for yeah. <laughs> for as long as they can squeeze any money out of it. Yeah, which it's fine. I think that that's all great. That's no problem. I remember one screen that the, always one that surprised me. I saw Suicide Squad in the afternoon, thousand people in there, wherever it was, a four hundred people, and sold out at three o'clock. And I'm like, what are you all doing here? It's a bit, you know, it's a bit, that experience is a good experience as well, isn't it? You know, that's that's something to be celebrated. Being able to see a big, massive blockbuster with a lot of people. And, you know, I remember seeing Endgame at the cinema as well and people just crying and rolled on the floor and, you know, and <laughs> having fits and, you know, just walking out, having, having serious break, you know, just, just not right. And and that's part of a good cinema experience, isn't it? That's part of watching a big blockbuster that means something to people and you've had an experience. So there's, there's room for everything, I think. And I think it's going to fall in the right places eventually. That was me with the latest Lynn Ramsey movie, just holding my face and cowering on the floor <laughs> and overcome by uh, intense emotion. That was me when I screened uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot. I don't know why. I, th- I think it's just because 
I think it's just because I never thought I'd screen a Kevin Smith film, and I was like, I never thought I'd see some of your cinema. But yeah, it's a different experience for different people. I think there's enough room out there where it can be tailored for everyone. So I think eventually it's going to be a good thing. I think I think cinema's going to really strike back really hard, and there's going to be a big boom. But it's just going to be a little bit different, a little bit spread out differently, and people will make the appropriate choices and go to the places they feel like they want to go for X amount of experience or whatever experience it is. Yeah, I was just going to ask for a few more details about the crowdfunding. What else have you learned from that, and how are you feeling about the future based on that experience? The link to it will be uh, will be in the description of this podcast episode, and and one of the uh, reward levels is a bottle of wine. Ooh. Just so. You know what the what the stakes are here. We've got a, a sliding scale of donation, and obviously people can donate because it's it's such an amazing opportunity to help us get this thing off the ground. And those altruistic people out there, of course, can donate. If you're not local, um, i.e., you know, if you guys wanted to fly over to the UK to watch a film, then you're more than welcome. I very much do. I'm very interested in that. <laughs> The people that are local, we've got a sliding scale of, you know, everything £5 right up to £350. You know, if you want to book the small cinema for a, a private screening for your friends with a bottle of champagne, right down to, you know, I'd just like to buy a ticket and help out. Um, so that's doing really well. We've got an amazing response from that. And some of the comments are really, really heartening to us. So these are people that, coming out again we think it's great what you're doing we you know we thought that cinema had gone from the town so yeah it's it's pulled out a lot of really interesting dialogue and there's a lot of media attention as well locally that's suddenly come out of the woodwork and you know i think we need a full-time press agent at the moment that's been great and again that uh the link to that crowdfunding campaign will be in the description if you want to uh, see some pictures of the loom check out some more information and maybe toss them a few pounds whether you're local or not, or open to taking a, an overseas plane trip when that's safe to do again. Free bottle of wine with every plane trip. That's, that's what we'll say in there. Maybe a bottle of gin. James and Anthony, thank you uh, so much for joining us today. It's It's been great to speak with you and I'm keeping my fingers crossed for being able to see the theater one of these days. One of these years, I don't know. Days, let's go with days. Day. Days. Days. Sooner. <laughs> Well, the gin will be on ice whenever you're ready to pop over, so terrific. <laughs> I'll hold you to yeah, that. You can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been great. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.